Well, my name is Marcus Curtis. Um, I have been involved with dogs my whole life. Um, have been breeding dogs since 1995, 96. Um, interesting story was, um, I lived in a pretty rough area. Um, our home was robbed. It took a day for law enforcement to come out and their recommendation was to get a good guard dog. (laughs) So, uh, so I got into looking into different breeds and started out with Rottweilers, um, who even to this day, I still love them. Um, so I had them bred them, fell in love with that breed at first. And then as I progressed in wisdom and experience, um, I found a different breed, which was the Neapolitan Mastiff. Um, so I had phased out of Rottweilers and got into the Neapolitan Mastiffs. And over the next 21 years, uh, became a fanatic about them. And uh, I've been breeding, showing, handling that breed for that long. And then doing um, history, a lot of research on that breed, uh, I found out about the uh, the ancient uh, guard dog, the Molossus, which uh, was before the Neapolitan Mastiff, before the rise of Rome. And when I realized what those dogs were used for, what they look like, their size, uh, the capability, um, I just became obsessed with bringing that ancient dog back. And uh, that brings me to where I am to this day. So right now, we started uh, dabbling with this, oh, I want to say about eight years ago. Um, my wife and I had long discussions about um, bringing this ancient dog back. So we decided to go full bore and uh, use the dogs that had those original bloodlines still in them and uh, go ahead and work on that. So over that period of time up until now, we uh, carefully selected our own bloodline, the old world bloodline with Neapolitan Mastiffs, which are direct descendants of the Velocis. And then we hand selected a very specific old English Mastiff blood from all over the world. Uh, we literally went to Poland, Germany, um, throughout the world, even in America, to get some of the best bloodlines where the dogs had that type of type construction, health, and the guardian temperaments, and we incorporated those into this program. So we basically worked on that, uh, worked on bringing back the breed. We started doing uh, DNA and health testing on them, Um, just doing the normal thing that most breeders would do, just hand-selecting the best of each of those litters, and then had a lot of different breeders join in with what we're doing. Um, worked on getting uh, the breed recognized by the USBR, ADF, DBR, UBBR, ARBA. And we're working on the goals are to get it recognized by the AKC. Um, I have been in touch with the AKC. They are aware that the molasses existed. Uh, they are, uh, they've been very helpful in letting us know what we need to do to get that uh, to happen. And so, the goals ultimately are to have this breed um, completely back and consistent and eventually recognized by the AKC. Um, so far, I've been really pleased with what we have. Um, shocked at 
the level of excitement that spread all over the place. Uh, that wasn't really the original goal, but it kind of just took off like wildfire. So, um, but that is the goal. AKC, uh, more consistent with the breed, um, always improving and trying to push their lifespan to be a 10 to 12 years average. Mm-hmm. It's a great question. Um, I'll try to answer it to the best of my ability. Um, some of the breeders that uh, have had a big hand in what we're doing, they asked that we do not share their or promote their kennel uh, because of some of the backlash. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have to be careful with that. But Okay, so the original Molossus was a huge, large-framed dog, bigger than what we have today. Um, in order to do that, and you're tapping into the original bloodlines, which are both the Neapolitan and the Mastiff. We have to have dogs that have the large frame. We have to have black color or black or brindle. That was the original colors. Um, they did have a lot of loose skin around the neck for protection and on the head, but not so much on the body. Um, these dogs were used for close quarter guarding, so they had to be extremely powerful, able to defend against multiple people or other animals, large animals, etc. Um, they had to be able to protect people, property, and other animals, so these dogs couldn't be fighting dogs or animal aggressive, more of a guardian temperament. So when we went out and got the right old English Mastiffs, they had to have most of those traits. Anybody that's familiar with old English Mastiffs, uh, they no longer are referred to that. They're actually referred to as the Mastiff. Um, although they're a pure breed, uh, they have incorporated St. Bernard and Great Dane into the bloodlines. And the Mastiff of today is a longer, a showier type dog with a longer muzzle, uh, not as large of a structure as it once have, not as much loose skin. And it's more directed by show. And they also are very passive and their temperament. And the reason why this is important is because when we're going out to look for dogs that we had to use to start this program, we had to be very, very specific about those types of traits um, that had to be brought back because the molasses is clearly a well-defined dog um, and it had very clear traits. I wrote the standard on it and uh, they had to have all of those things. So we had to search everywhere for them. And there's not a lot of those types of dogs around, um, but that's the ones that we have to have. And with what we're doing, um, you know, obviously we're biased, but we think it's one of the greatest guard dogs of all of antiquity, all of history. So if we were going to bring this dog back, we had to go and get the best dogs that were available. And we had to do no matter what we had to do, no matter what we had to say, no matter how much money we had to spend, that was what we had to do. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the qualities of the Neapolitan that are important uh, with this new breed? Yes. So the Neapolitan Mastiff, I'm obviously uh, much more familiar with. And actually, the Neapolitan Mastiff, my old world bloodline, we actually had been selectively breeding these dogs to have molasses-type traits. Uh, the Neapolitan Mastiff, historically speaking... Um, was 
created by the Romans, and when they rose to power, uh, they they basically took the molasses and they bred that, crossbred it to a smaller fighting dog, with hopes of creating a dog that was uh, ferocious in fighting, both in power and you know by design for the Colosseum for entertainment. And uh, the Neapolitans that were resurrected and brought back, like what we're doing with the molasses, um, they bred them to be the same way. They're a tenacious guard dog. They are very hard-tempered. Um, they are very animal aggressive. And um, and they are a large breed with large frame, but they tend to have more of a cat-like body, and they tend to have excessive wrinkles. Uh, very pendulous lips, a lot of times skin hanging, draping from the skirting underneath. Um, and obviously Neapolitans have bred, been bred uh, for popularity to have excessive wrinkle even on the legs and stuff. Um, so with Neapolitans, we had to find dogs that were bigger than normal, larger framed than the average Neapolitan. They had to genetically have the black uh, DNA so that they were producing black or black brindle dogs. Um, we tended to have ones that still had all the guard traits, but were less animal aggressive. Um, and then, of course, uh, we have to do a lot of screening for these dogs because the Neapolitans, unfortunately, have a shortened lifespan, which is an average of six years, and they do have uh, health issues. So that's something that is going to be a challenge for us for probably many years. We just have to continually work on it. We'll have a lot of success, but we're going to have some setbacks. And um, with anything you do, it's, it's part of what, you know, the, the pros and cons to any program. Mm -hmm. Do you continue to breed um, pure Neapolitans? Uh, I do. Um, so with this particular program, um, and reading tons of books and talking to many, many breeders that were successful. Uh, historically speaking, most, uh, what would you call them, new breeds or designed breeds, like the Bull Mastiff, for instance, or the American Bully, uh, generally speaking, it was one breeder that used their own stock, and it took them 10, 20 years to really get the thing going. So we took a different approach um, we started working with other people within a community and, um, we had to have as much stock as possible. So in order to do that, I have to continually do my own breeding of those specimens on top of the molasses and as well as the mastiffs. So we breed all three and we'll continually to do selective breeding and go one way or the other, depending on what traits come out. Yeah, so the standard um, was written in 2015, and um, it is copyrighted and posted for pretty much all of the registries now. Um, even the AKC, they've looked at um, our standard. Um, the dogs are pretty darn close uh, to where we want it to be, but with anything, when you're, when you're bringing back a dog, or I have to refer to creating a dog because... Um, I don't know, and, and I could be wrong in this, but I don't know that anybody's brought back a dog that once existed. Usually they're creating some new breed. Um, so with this, it's clear what the dog looked like. There's statues, there's paintings, there's descriptions of the dogs. So what we're doing is just continually focusing on um, consistency. 
So if we have some dogs that uh, lack the temperament, lack the health, or, or too big or too small, um, just working on improving those things. Would I change the standard? No, because those dogs that existed, that's what they were, and I don't want to deviate from. I definitely don't want to change because of popularity and money. Um, not to take anything away from other breeders or programs, um, that would be uh, uh, foolish of me to do that or to to criticize anybody of what they're doing. But I do know that in a lot of dog breeds, they will change. Like maybe the mural color is popular, uh, so they change the standard because of financial reasons. Um, I didn't bring that. Me and my wife did not work on bringing this dog back for money. It was a passion to bring that dog back. Um, we're very fortunate. We're entrepreneurs. We have successful businesses. So um, money really isn't the issue. So I don't see the standard ever changing. The only thing I, I can see is just always working on improving these dogs on health and their function. Um, because sometimes the dogs will be overly aggressive or too passive or do not have the thick large bone structure that they should have so those are really the things we'll be focusing on is just improving and being more consistent and eventually getting to the point where we don't have any old english mastiff or neapolitan mastiff stock uh we'll be basically working with all american molasses stock and the other thing i would like to eliminate at some point is the recessive colors um by standard the dog should be black black brindle or brindle um we still do have recessive blue brindle genes and fawn genes that come out so eventually i like to get to where we don't have those anymore um so that's really it that's that's what we're going to be focused on i mean it seems simple but it's not right well the standard the way it is is that males can be close to 200 pounds or bigger provided that they have the right construction and proportion. And then females can be anywhere from 165 and greater as far as the size. Um, males in their height, they're going to be anywhere from 30 to 36 inches at the withers or bigger. Um, females are 28 to 30 inches at the withers or greater. Um, they have a large frame. And like I mentioned, as far as the structure is very important, that's really what separates them from other dogs um a lot of people would almost think that they were uh, fat or not as muscular as maybe say like a terrier for instance or a greyhound but these dogs clearly by this the statues and the terracotta um, pieces that were made they were built like bears they're very thick very powerful um and that's really the one thing that separates them from all other breeds is the girth and size of these dogs. Um, so hopefully that uh, that kind of answers it. In fact, if uh, these dogs are shown, if they lack the thick body, they can be penalized or even disqualified. Mm -hmm. We do. Um, so obviously, um, like I mentioned earlier, we have to have a lot of stock. Mm -hmm. So we have multiple Neapolitan Mastiff breeders that have committed to allowing us to use certain bloodlines, knowing what we're trying to do. We also have old English Mastiff breeders that have volunteered to let us use their bloodlines as we need. 
because they're pretty darn excited about what we're doing and they love how the dogs have turned out and the historical significance of what we're doing. So they volunteered to help. Um, and then, of course, molasses breeders themselves, there are several of them. Um, ancient guardian molasses we've mentored and they've come a long way. Grizzly molasses. Um, there's, uh, I mean, actually right now there's, I want to say 10 different breeders who have joined with what we're doing. In fact, we have an American molasses kennel club now. Um, that's, uh, we're working together for this breed. Cool. Well, um, I did read, uh, I did write the book dog breeding secrets. Um, it's a book I wrote that, um, I wanted to give back in all these years of breeding and working with different breeders and, learning i wanted to be able to share some of this stuff for people that wanted to get into breeding or were curious about it um philosophy it's really tough the reason why i say that is because every single person that finds themselves dog breeding they have a different background they have a different reason for what they're doing and i'm just never one that that likes to criticize anybody for what they're doing um, I would say myself, um, I, I'm, my wife and I are just very, very passionate about that ancient dog. I mean, to to read and learn about a dog that was around for thousands of years, that predates Greece and Rome, that protected villages. And I mean, we're not talking about, you know, like show dogs that prance around in the ring and you get ribbons and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm talking about this is like life or death. If somebody came into a village back then, they could take the women and children, they could kill off, they could take the cattle, they could just pillage and take anything they wanted. And it was a a very dark time. And if these dogs were capable of protecting in those times, um, we don't have to look around too far to see how things have changed in modern times. But I thought that how, how amazing would it be to have something so ancient brought back that we could see, we could enjoy, and could still guard in those aspects. So um, for us, the philosophy is just the passion of bringing back that dog and sparing no time, no effort, no expense to do it and bring those dogs back correctly as they were. And um, no matter what detractors or what people out there that want to tear down what a person does, we don't care. We're focused and we're going to get it done. And so if I was to um, say to somebody breeding, um, what I would recommend is do it with passion. If you absolutely love the dogs and you love what you're doing, then do it. If you don't, you shouldn't be doing it because it takes a lot. I mean, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that goes into this. There's a lot of pain. When you lose dogs or if you produce a dog that doesn't turn out or you invest tens of thousands into a dog that you import and it's sick and dies. I mean, there's just I can't tell you all the pitfalls that go into doing something with greatness. But if you love what you do, it just doesn't matter. I mean, you just don't blink. You just keep going. You just keep going, keep grinding until you have perfected it. And so my philosophy is just do it with passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the basically the molasses to kind of 
put it into historical significance, the region where these dogs originated was ancient Mesopotamia and Sumer. Um, they also were in Babylon. So we're talking about the cradle of uh, civilization. That was the region that these dogs originated. And actually, historically speaking, they weren't actually recognized as the Molossus name at that time. Uh, they actually had a different name, which was Giant Dog of Death. And um, later on in the rise of Greece, uh, they actually took these dogs and it wasn't uncommon for different people to migrate and see different dogs and utilize them with how they see fit. So these dogs were used and also crossed in Greece in an area of Malasha and historically referenced as the Molossus. That's where that name and historians do vary on uh, the accuracy of that. Um, we do know that that is the dog. We're just not positive that the Grecians are the ones that um, are the ones that actually refer to those dogs as the Molossus, but um, that's where they are. So these dogs predate Greece and predate Rome. Um, so they aren't Roman war dogs. They aren't Roman guard dogs. They're not Grecian dogs. They're actually from ancient Mesopotamia. Um, and the, it was interesting because they were not just giant guard dogs, close quarter guard dogs, um, but they were also thought of as healing dogs. So the Mesopotamians and the Sumerians would actually have these dogs in hospitals because they're very laid back. Um, and they would actually use their saliva on open wounds uh, to heal quicker. So their saliva and their drool was actually um, utilized for healing powers at that time or thought to be uh, of healing power. So these dogs, fast forward to now, we want them to be close quarter guardians like they were then. Um, <laughs> they do drool, but I wouldn't uh, go out and say, I'm going to bottle up their drool and pour it on your open wounds. <laughs> I think, yeah, some things have changed since then, but that was the significance and a lot of things that people get uh, confused about is, um, although we get a lot of praise and a lot of people love these dogs, probably some of the biggest things that we've heard is, well, these dogs are so massive that they aren't capable of, you know, running several miles. They aren't capable of going on, you know, uh, military marches and stuff like that. And those are actually pretty true. Um, but the dogs were never actually bred for that. There were other dogs used for that, like Rottweilers and Connie Corsos and uh, stuff like that. These dogs were never, ever intended for that type of purpose. In fact, historically speaking, they were generally kept on chains. A lot of times they cropped their ears so that when they were in battle, other animals couldn't get a hold of their ears. They also cropped their large toes, which the significance of that shows that they were never used for that purpose. They were always uh, meant to be close quarter. Um, so there's several things, historically speaking, that um, refer to why these dogs were used and how they were used. And so probably the biggest thing is people just don't understand what these dogs were bred for originally. Um, but I love them. I don't think there's anything uh, then or now that's better to have a large dog that 
is super loyal and would protect you no matter what, but also isn't a liability where they're uh, high prey drive and actually attack dogs. So for me, they're perfect, the perfect breed. Mm-hmm. Well, we ha- we've done some testing. Um, we Like, for instance, when we have our litters, we do evaluations on them for how steady their temperament is, um, which ones are alpha. Um, we have had some that have gone through training to be service dogs. We have some that do are doing protection work, obedience, show. So we've done several things as far as the different types of training. They've been with different types of family in different types of situations. Um, uh, so we have done some of that. Well, it's a good question. We haven't had a long enough time since we brought these dogs back mm-hmm. to just find out if we're going to be able to consistently say they're at the 10 to 12 year mark on average lifespan yet. We just haven't. I mean, the oldest ones we have right now that are actual molasses are going on four years. And so far, we've tracked all of them. And all of them have done well except for one that died of bloat. And um, we've done a lot of research on bloat in large breeds, and it's something that just has not been able to be eliminated, but yet is not genetic. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so far, we've done well. We've been health testing many of them. We post them on our website so that people can see the most extensive um, health testing that you can have for genetic disorders, et cetera. Um, But, I mean, this is something that will – any breeder that wants to last or, or do anything with longevity, um, you have to monitor and check everything, follow up on everything, and you're going to get some bad, and then you just have to eliminate them. For instance, if you're doing the, the DNA testing and the health screening, and it says that this dog has, say, a genetic heart disorder, then at that point, now it doesn't matter how nice the dog is or how much you have invested in it, that's a wrap. You have to... You have to close that down and, mm-hmm. and keep going. Um, so this is a good way to see stuff that the eye can't see, genetically speaking. And some are carriers. Some can carry disorders that you need to be aware about. Not necessarily stop breeding them, but stuff that you need to be aware of so you don't double up on or do, say, line breeding or inbreeding on with those kinds of disorders. So um, those are the things that I think that, will always continue it'll never stop but as far as drawbacks with this breed so far i have not as far as with the neapolitan mastiff and the old english mastiff um, we're fortunate because we get to selectively pick Mm -hmm. so we can go to different breeders and we know have had success we know what they have and we can hand select the best dogs that we have to incorporate um and we've been fortunate enough to where we're financially able to go and get some of the best stuff out there um, so that's the way we started our program and we'll continue to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, this dog here, um, it's, it's unique. Now they love the outdoors. So I know that there's, you know, you got toy breeds, you have sporting breeds, um, protection, working dogs. This particular type of dog, uh, loves the outdoors. Now they don't, uh, require that you work them, so to speak, but they like to be outdoors. Mm-hmm. So in any kind of setting, no matter where they are, they always should be and have access to the outdoors because they love it. 
Um, they do love cold weather. Um, they can uh, live in heat. I live in the desert. Um, but when it gets to, say, 100 degrees plus, yeah, they do not like it. So you absolutely have to have them in a situation where they either are indoors with AC during those times or if they're outside, they have plenty of fresh water, they have shade, they have misters, they have things that can keep them cool. Um, uh, so that's something significant with this particular breed. Now, although they're huge and they are guard dogs, they do not require a lot of exercise. So these dogs here actually can be indoors if you want. We actually have some clients that have apartments and have them and they actually are doing just well. They love they absolutely love and adore um, their their owners. Um, I mean, I literally, we're doing a photo shoot with Sasquatch, and it's like I can't get anywhere. Every time I get away from him, he comes and wants to lay down right by my feet. He always wants to be right by me. Um, so they're a dog that, again, close quarter dogs, close quarter guard dogs. They like to be around uh, their human owners or family members. Um, and they can adapt. They can be in small homes, big homes, outdoors. Uh, if you have a lot of property, like multiple acres, they're not the type of dog that's going to go running around and roaming off. They're just innate in their character. They always want to be around their owners. Mm-hmm. So generally, they'll be right around the house. Okay, so these dogs, by the way they were defined in the standard and originally are protectors of property, land, people, and other animals. So in the perfect story, with consistency, these dogs should be able to love and protect their family, kids, other animals. That would include cats and dogs, goats, sheep, etc. Um, and that's how they are. Consistently, so far, they've been pretty good. The only issues I've seen with the molasses and all of the different ones we've had so far is when challenged, they have hurt other dogs, but they didn't initiate it. Uh-huh. So that's pretty much consistent with how they should be. A guard, or for instance, like a security guard, isn't going to go run up and punch somebody for no reason. They're protecting an entrance to a building, and only if need be, they have to regulate, and that's kind of how these dogs are. Uh, we had one unfortunate situation where an unscrupulous person decided to let a Rottweiler run and attack the dog. And the molasses really didn't engage until the dog actually came up on it. And then it was, it was curtains sadly for that dog because uh, really wasn't the dog's fault. It was the owner's fault, but uh, yeah, it didn't end well. Um, These dogs are extremely powerful and strong They do look like they would be lazy and they would be just this mellow dog, but make no mistake about it. They were bred to guard against anything and they're extremely powerful. Um, So that's really the only thing. And I wouldn't say that's a bad thing. That's just what they were bred to do. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a great question. So you have to keep in mind with these dogs, is there a close quarter guard dog? So as far as endurance and stamina, they have all of what they need for what they are supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if you were going to say, well, you know, my Rottweiler can, you know, 
go with me on a 10 mile march, for instance. Well, that they're two different dogs, different functions, different purposes. So if you're comparing them that way, it wouldn't be fair to either dog because the molasses wasn't bred for that. They were bred to be originally not, I'm not saying they should be on the chains now. I'm just saying historically back thousands of years ago, they kept them on chains and they kept them close. So these dogs are fully capable of doing whatever they have to do. So case in point, two intruders come to the house, the dog comes out, tails up, it's barking, it has a nasty, deep bark. And if the person sees this huge 200-pound dog and still thinks, you know what, we're going to take our chances and try to get on the property, the moment they step on the property, it is, it's bad news. And the reason why I say that is because no matter what a human thinks, humans are the weakest animals there are. Mm-hmm. So if you think that you can fight, say, a 35-pound pit bull or a 85-pound Rottweiler, you absolutely have no prayer against a 200-pound dog. They are absolutely the strongest dog alive, mm-hmm. and they're one of the largest frame dogs there is. And so if you try to go on there, they're going to do their job. One, you're not going to go on the property. Two, if you do, you won't outrun them because they're extremely powerful and quick. And they don't need a whole lot of endurance to ward you off or take a man down. Mm -hmm. They could literally take you down and kill you. It wouldn't take but five minutes. So they have all the endurance, all the power that they need. And, uh, uh, you know, these dogs, if they ever get into it, like if you have two males or something like that, it, it does happen. They have unbelievable stamina when engaged. Mm -hmm. So the dog is perfect for what they were bred for they're not perfect for other functions Mm -hmm. they aren't like labrador retrievers they don't go retrieve nets Mm -hmm. they aren't uh you know greyhounds they're not going to run super fast and run laps for you um they're not a swimming dog they were a close quarter giant guardian that protects and Mm -hmm. that's what they do Mm -hmm. and they really don't need a lot of bite work training They don't need those types of things because the dogs, again, weren't bred for attack. They're bred for guarding, and they actually, it's innate in their character. I mean, our youngest pups, we have videos of them, even as young as 8 to 10 weeks, when strangers come up, tails up, they're barking, growling. Uh, It's just innate in their character. I mean, it's pretty amazing to see them. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, both the Mastiff, uh, the Old English Mastiff and the Neapolitan Mastiff are molasses in genetics and there's not a huge change between them um neapolitans range in colors you know they can be in blue which is most common they can be tawny mahogany or black um english mastiffs can be fawn or brindle and um the molasses is black black brindle and brindle so those are really the differences um in color as far as the frame, the molasses has the largest frame of the two. They're, uh, they have bigger bone structure, thicker, wider shoulders and chest and rear than all of both. Uh, so they are similar as far as they're large, but their frame is much, much bigger. Um, I would say they are more similar to the Mastiff when it comes to wrinkles because they're not excessive and extreme to the point where they're non-functional. 
Um, and as far as temperament wise, for me, again, they are the best of the two because where Mastiffs are very passive and really aren't much of a guard dog anymore. Um, and the Neapolitans tend to be a very, very hard, dominant alpha dog that is very difficult to coexist with other animals. The Molossus still is a tenacious guard dog, but not animal aggressive, so they can coexist and protect other animals. So uh, for me, they're although all three are similar, the Molossus to me is was and is the best overall dog. But of course, I'm biased. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> That's a good question. Well, you know, in 20-something years, um, there's been a lot of different types of food, brand food and styles of food that have been popular and have disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first got into it, um, Innova was a really good kibble. Um, that was in the 90s. And uh, I used that. I tried BARF, which is initial standing for bones and raw food. Um, I tried that. Um, I've tried raw diet. I've tried all kinds of different kibbles. Um, and what I've learned over the years is that you just have to be aware. And what I mean by that is that it's the, every dog is different. Their functions different and what they require is different. So if a dog is generally, a like a greyhound, for instance, uh, it needs a lot of endurance, needs to stay very lean, then you need to choose diets that do so for that particular dog. You know, if you're a bodybuilder and you're trying to get extremely ripped and lean for a bodybuilding competition, you definitely are eating mainly proteins and vegetables, lots of water and no fats, no carbs at all. So with these particular breeds, you have to pick a specific diet that's for that dog, um, for their function. Um, Myself, I use, after all these years, I've decided to go with just a kibble. And there's a lot of science behind it. They break it down into the types of carbohydrates, proteins, um, fats, um, vitamins, minerals, and all those things. It's very difficult to get from, say, just a raw diet. Um, and these dogs aren't wolves, you know, they aren't in the wild anymore. They've been domesticated. They've been genetically altered and bred for different things. So, um, I say that you have to be aware of your dog and make sure they're healthy. Their coat looks good. They're able to function in the way they do. And, and for that, there's no, there's no exact type of kibble I could recommend for any particular people, but with our dogs, yes, it's just simply kibble. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that of the between the two dogs, uh, between Mastiffs and Neos, as far as trainability, I would say they're more similar to the Mastiffs. The Neapolitan can be very stubborn. They're a dominant dog and an alpha dog. So they can be very stubborn and difficult with training. The Molossus is not. Um, they are very, very loyal dogs. They love their owners. I mean, I literally think they would die if you died and they saw it. Mm-hmm. They would stay there till you, till they died. I mean, they really are that loving and loyal. And because of that, when it comes to training, if you do positive reinforcement training, they're extremely smart. They pick up stuff really, really quick. Um, now, obviously, 
um, I'm at a, and a disadvantage because although I love dogs and I'm a judge and a handler, I can't speak. I mean, it's literally, well, I think there's over 300 recognized breeds these days um, and just under 200 breeds recognized by the AKC alone. So I'm sure there's, there's dogs that are uh, smarter when it comes to training, but um, I'm very proud of the molasses. They're very smart. They pick up stuff really well. Um, and even as large as they are, they can be gentle. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I, I think they're uh, the better of all three. But masters are very smart, and they do learn really quick. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about uh, your morning and uh, evening routines with your dogs? What does that look like? Well, with us, it changes uh, because my wife and I were entrepreneurs and we own different businesses and we're able to be with and around our dogs all the time. So ours is a little different than the average person. So between myself and my wife, we're always around the dogs. Um, I mean, that's just dog life. We wake up, you, you know, you clean the areas where they're at fresh water and food you exercise and play with them spend time with them and this is day and night this is a the daily routine or we have puppies here or we're doing training or something we're always involved with them whereas other people you know maybe they have nine to fives so they don't see them uh, during that time but these dogs do require time spent um, not necessarily as far as exercise but as far as affection and interaction because they're very loyal they love their owners so that's something that needs to be done on a daily basis and obviously our dogs get that every day and how often do you feed your dogs do you do twice a day once a day or we go twice a day Mm -hmm. they have and i mean they uh adults they'll eat anywhere from 12 to 18 cups a day and that's divided into two times a day now, we do that twice a day because um, with large breeds like St. Bernard's, Mastiffs, and Molasses, Great Danes, all of the deep-chested large breed dogs are prone to bloat. And so we, we feel that if you feed them twice a day, they don't inhale the food as fast. They don't eat, consume as much at one time. Um, and we feel like it limits um, our percentages of of having bloat, but it hasn't eliminated it. Uh, anybody who's forthright and honest about a breeding program will tell you that I don't care what you say, what you do, how much you learn, you're still going to get, uh, you're going to have bad luck at some point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what does your uh, kennel setup look like for these dogs? Well, our particular one, obviously these are large dogs, so we have a lot of them that we call home with a lot of people. But the ones that are here, we have our front and backyard that's fenced off that they have access to. And then they also have a exotic zoo kennels that we have. And they literally are that. They're uh, zoo-type um, kennels that they use in zoo exhibits. And they have uh, roofing and doghouse and we have um, a sod area for them and then it's on concrete and um so it's pretty good i mean i'm sure there's stuff that is better and there's stuff that's not as good but we're pretty happy with what we have and they're also set up because like i said we're in the desert area um so on times where 
it gets hot, they have um, plenty of shade trees. They have a roof. We have industrial fans and misters. So we're set up pretty good. I mean, they do pretty well. Well, if you're trying to recreate a dog that existed before, like what we're doing, um, the first thing to do is study that dog. Um, learn as much as you can about that particular dog, the region where they came from, why they were created, what was their function, how they looked, and write every, be very meticulous. Write every detail down. Because the one thing that I think people lose track of with dogs is a lot of people get caught up in how they look, but not as much as what their function was. Because before dog shows, before the AKC, UKC, and all this stuff we have today, they didn't have papers and shows. Dogs were literally bred and created for a specific function. So when somebody's getting ready to do this, do as much research as you can on the breed and their function first. Mm-hmm. And then second, make sure you write it all down and um, spare no expense at trying to give yourself the best shot to bring that back, meaning the best specimens, the best dogs, the best quality, the best health, um, everything you can to put yourself in a, uh, the right position to bring that dog back and bring it back right. Um, be prepared to have a lot of money to invest and time to invest. And again, to the number one thing, passion, have passion for what you're trying to do, why you're trying to bring that dog back and then, then go for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step and, uh, you just got to take that first step, mm-hmm. but that's, that's what I recommend. And I, I would say that. Um, I would encourage anybody to, in anything they do, whether it's dog breeding or a business or whatever it is, I always encourage somebody to do something that's uh, going to be a positive uh, impact on their life and other people's lives. So just take all that into consideration when you're getting ready to do this and don't take it lightly. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I've done it all. Um, so the molasses now are recognized and we do show them. But prior to that, I had been an AKC handler for, man, probably 18 years. And uh, I did focus on Neapolitan Mastiffs when I was uh, uh, handling them. Uh, As far as a judge, being a judge for the ADF, the DBR, and the USBR, those are all breed clubs. So I have to be familiar with all breeds. Mm -hmm. So anytime I'm out there, I have to understand the function, movement, construction, um, the appearance and confirmation of almost all the breeds that will be there. Um, so being a judge is, is, uh, is really tough. (laughs) And also there can only be one winner. Mm -hmm. So you're hated by everybody else who hasn't won. And so you better be good at understanding that breed because people will call you out. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, but it's good. It, it, when you're around other breeds and other people and you handle and you judge, it gives you different perspective when it comes to your own specific breed. You look at things a little bit different. So mm-hmm. uh, I always encourage people to learn, 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 learn. The one thing, the best thing you can learn is that you never know everything. Mm-hmm. So just keep learning. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, well, the one thing I, I definitely want to do is, 
a lot of people they don't this is new to them they don't they never heard of the breed um whether it's new to them or or an old breed that they're aware of most people don't aren't aware of either um so the biggest thing for me is i love the history behind the breed and when you understand that it's it's the oldest known guard dog of all of antiquity it's pretty fascinating that's really what sucked me into wanting to scrap all that I've done and give it my all to bring this breed back. Is that what a powerful piece of history this dog was and how it was involved in creating some of the known breeds. In fact, the whole term molosser means that these dogs came from the molosses. Um, so it is, it's just a huge historical thing to have been able to bring this bat, this, this giant guard dog back. And I'm very proud of it. Um, I'm proud of the way they look, the way they are, the way they function, um, how loyal they are to humans, how loving they are and how willing to protect they are. And, uh, so it's, it's just one of those things that from that period of time to now, there's still a great, great need for this type of dog and uh, very proud for my wife and I, Yvette to have uh, worked on bringing this dog back and it's been a true pleasure. Awesome.